Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to The Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by two guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I am Benjamin R. Harrison. What's up with you, Ben? Dude, I am, I'm busting. I'm busting, Jerry. Does uh, busting make you feel good? It does. We have a our first, uh, as far as I know, our first tattoo, Adam. <laughs> Yeah. Do you catch this? I sure do. My uh, emotions are so I you know what to say that they're mixed would be <laughs> would sound more negative than I truly mean that. It's just that I I just can't believe it. I can't I can't believe I can't believe anyone would uh would care as much about our show, the great design of the pin enough to put it on their bodies forever. So, listener Crystal, who is an active uh, participant in the Greatest Gen hashtag on Twitter, she she went and got the uh, the tattoo version of the enamel pin that was one of the prizes in the Max Fun Drive for Dustbuster Club. Yeah, amazing. I think Crystal is also the person who won our push to a thousand iTunes review contest. Does that yeah sound right? I, I think so. We can cut it out if she's not, but yeah, I think I do believe she is. Man. Uh, she's killing it right now. She's she's killing it in the game. I mean, I'm not saying that uh, it's a requirement to uh, to be a viewer in good standing, to have our uh, a, an idea from our show permanently emblazoned on your body, but... <laughs> Tell you what, dude, uh, much like the stamp that goes on the inside right wrist, like, she's got, she's got permanent guest list status for me. Oh, yeah. Just uh, just roll it up and and you're on your way through the door. <laughs> yeah, man. It. Uh, I I was having a weird day when uh, when she posted that on Twitter, and uh, it it just like it it made me feel like I was floating for the rest of the day. I just couldn't believe that we lived in a universe where anybody cared enough about anything I had anything to do with. <laughs> <laughs> I love it and it's uh it all it almost goes without saying what an honor it is. But man, I I'm almost I'm also a little envious too, right? Like I don't have any tattoos and I've I think a lot about it, like what it would be if I were ever to get one. Yeah. And I wish I wish I cared enough about anything. <laughs> <laughs> To get a tattoo, you know what I'm saying? Like this it's, is exactly. It's sort of like uh, going to a restaurant, and there's like 200 things on the menu. I'm paralyzed with mm-hmm. with that uh, n- that number of choices. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the Mexican family style restaurant is not is not your favorite type of place because yeah, it's too many choices for, for a variety of reasons. Uh, it's not our podcast boss Jesse Thorne, uh, the proprietor of MaximumFun.org got a tattoo last year and i was having almost exactly the same conversation with him adam like I, there's no image or icon or saying that i can't say you know with confidence i will still believe in five years from now yeah <laughs> like i like i can't 
imagine um like ha- i don't know i mean maybe maybe this is just an illusion that my personality presents me with but i uh i look at i look back at almost everything with regret so you know. <laughs> Yeah. Why would a tattoo be any different? But uh but yeah, like there's that's totally a superpower of like being confident in yourself and your and and your enthusiasms. And I think that uh to some extent this show is a little bit about our own tension with those ideas. It definitely is. I mean, I'm someone who rewrites my own yearbook quote, <laughs> you know, by the month. Like I go back and cringe and wish that I could redo that like anything with any sense of permanence yeah i i wish i could change mm-hmm. that's not a good way of being yeah you don't want your life to be wikipedia no <laughs> well, i guess not well we have uh almost uh 150 permanent documents to our nerdery over star trek adam so at least that is fixed in uh in reality do we uh, want to jump into this episode? Let's make another show that will live forever and certainly <laughs> outlive either of us. It's uh, another one for the Seed Vault, the podcast Seed Vault. And it's season six, episode nine, The Quality of Life. This is becoming a speech. You're the captain, sir. You're entitled. I'm mm. entitled to ramble on about something everyone knows. Ben, it's another Frakes-directed episode, and I think you could tell throughout, couldn't you? Yeah, Frakes I mean, is, Frakes I, is getting up high. He's moving the camera around. Yeah, the uh, a little wobbly at times. There's a lot of movement in almost yeah. every scene in this in this episode. Like scenes that start with the camera like inside one of these robots and pull out to reveal mm-hmm. all the characters that you hear talking. Yeah, scenes where the camera goes through doorways and and finds people. It's a uh, it's very Frakesy. It's got to be such an advantage to be a cast member and also a director of the show because you're so familiar with the sets. You've seen every inch of every set on this show mm-hmm. for days on end. Yeah. You know what your actors may or may not be comfortable with just based on either what you've seen during shooting or or even what you glean conversationally from them. Like, I think it's great. It's got to give them a leg up on just about everyone. So to speak. <laughs> I see what you did there. Uh, this episode starts with a poker game, and uh, Jordy is back rocking the beard, and um, this this sort of turns into a a fun bet between the Doctor, Worf, and Jordy and Riker. Uh, that is, uh, if if she wins this poker game, all of you shave your beards off. And man, did I wish she had won that poker game. I do too. Could you imagine Worf without the beard? Yeah, would he look like a Klingon? I don't think so. I think so much of being a Klingon, like there's a there's like the hemispheres to a to a Klingon's face. Yeah. And like the loaf is a big part of it, but I don't think you look very Klingon unless you get those shoots at the side and the beard at the bottom. You oh, know? you get to keep your mustache if you lose this bet. That's uh, that's a technicality that they didn't address. I would argue that the mustache is an integral part of a beard. Yeah. And that it's all got to go. 
I also di- I also didn't think the bet was fair either. We've been in the barber shop before. We've seen barbers in the deep background use a little light scan device and change the color of someone's hair. Yeah, Beverly could go brunette very easily and very quickly, and then reverse it no problem. Yeah, she could go and as if- a brunette to dinner, and then. And if you know. Jordy's anything like me, it's going to take two years to get that beard back. <laughs> also, is there a loaf under a Klingon's beard? We've, we would never know. It's the Chuck Norris question, right? It's like uh, under Chuck Norris's beard, there's not a chin. It's just another fist. Like under Worf's beard, there's not a chin. There's just more loaf. <laughs> Maybe they have embarrassing loaf under there, and they, that's why they all wear them. Wow. Who knows? I'd like to know, though. Before uh, before they're able to complete the game, they're all called up to the bridge because the entrepreneur has arrived uh, at this uh, mining station. It's like an orbital mining platform. It's using uh, some type of uh, space ray to mine material off of a planet that's below. Um, this is a real half-and-half half quality effect here, like... The mine ray itself is like crackling and great, it's yeah. so great looking. Uh-huh. But it's coming out of like the Monopoly thimble, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's a very, uh, it's a basic ass station. This is like the <laughs> pumpkin spice latte of space stations. <laughs> yeah, it's the khaki pants of mining stations. <laughs> it's the uh, it's the sweatpants with words on the butt. <laughs> There's a braided leather belt. Around the midsection of it, mm, yeah, yeah, a uh, a uh, Oxford cloth button-down <laughs> dress shirt. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a business casual station. It is, it is. The Federation has some interest in this station and are using it as a way of determining whether they want to build their own ones of these. But it's not a Federation station; it's some other type of alien, and. There was a really weird dynamic between the entrepreneur crew and Dr. Farallon, who's like the, the the boss lady at the station, which was they're they're sort of taking this tone with her, like, you're off schedule, you're really fucking this up for us. But it also like was never really established that it was their thing, you know? Yeah. Like if the Federation was making like a big investment in this or something, it would their tone would make sense, but I don't think they ever really said that. I run into this a lot as an occasional like contract laborer in mm-hmm. video. Like when you're not an actual employee of the client, there is a limitation to your expectations, I feel like, because often I will be asked to do like re-edits on something at like 4:55 p.m. <laughs> And the expectation is because I'm not an employee, someone could make that sort of request where that may not be appropriate to make of an actual employee. And it seems like that's a similar conflict to what's happening here. Like, if you're not an actually badged Federation person, like, are they expecting more than they would from a standard issue Federation mining base? Yeah, and and what what you got to do in this case is just say, like, we're happy to do any further edits but that is beyond the scope of the of the current contract that we have with the federation and any uh any further work will will require pre-agreed upon overage rates 
God, like uh, from from my brain to your mouth, like that. That is basically a memorized line that I have. <laughs> uh. And and like, Farallon seems like the type who has been in this shit before because she pushes back hard right. on basically every request. She presents herself as someone who has been shit on in the contract labor uh big business environment she like is that, she's, that relationship hasn't worked out for her right she is past the part of her freelance career where she'll basically do anything to maintain good relationships with clients yeah she's she doesn't like, care anymore she's like fuck you i don't need the federation i'll sell this shit to the to the ferengis or something <laughs> yeah you really get that feeling that she doesn't need this shit yeah what she's uh, working on is like they're they're getting this mining beam up and running, but it's not really mining as much as as uh, as had been hoped. And she's really excited about this new invention that she has uh, called exocomps, which are fun little robots, little batteries not included type of deals, and um, they they use them to like do kind of maintenance stuff around the station. Uh, which the station is a lot better on the inside than it is on the outside. Like it's a much cooler set than the model would imply. It's business on the outside, party on the inside. <laughs> that's that's an awkward comparison. But the exocomps themselves look like a first draft of Wally. You know, like <laughs> if what you're trying to do is create a robot that could engender some sort of feeling. They have a little bit of personality. They have like little wiggly uh, parts to them, like like arm-like things. Yeah. They've got like tank tread looking things on the bottom, but those don't move. They do little beeps and boops like R2-D2. Like, yeah, they have... They're really ramping up the personality here. Uh, and I think whether or not you feel like an exocomp is, is alive, which is a is a decision that we will discuss a little later on, like it really has so much to do with with how they design these because it's if it's just a cube it's going to be hard to get to your heart yeah well and i think that they have kind of an interestingly restrained amount of personality they are not wally level where they they have a way to make themselves look sad or right you know, or happy or whatever like they don't they don't really have emotions but they do have this kind of charisma as semi-inanimate objects ben let's play a little gambling game am i gonna have to shave my beard adam one thing i noticed right away was how often the word exocomp was said (laughs) by a character in this episode and once once i heard it i couldn't stop hearing it and it was just like a constant like ringing like a bell ringing Every it, time. It is it is fucking annoying how often they say it. <laughs> it it seems uh it could be nothing else than than bad writing. Like this is a script that needs an edit and a thesaurus, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's uh what's in there under Exocomp, Adam? <laughs> well, uh Robot is one of them. The tool could be another. Mm. Uh these things. They. Uh, the device. Yeah, uh, he, him, she, her. Okay, Ben, uh, how many times do you 
guess that the word exocomp was said in this 42-minute episode. Ooh, can I have a, is there like a, an over-under, or, or am, I just, am I just guessing out of thin air? I'm going to give you the over-under, and then, uh, and then you can have a few more guesses to see if you can get it closer. I'm going to set the over-under at 40. <laughs> okay, I'm going to guess over. It is over. 52? Over. Fuck. <laughs> Final guess, Ben. 61. It is over that. Jesus. I stopped counting at 70. What? It's a 44-minute episode. The website I used with the script says 76 times, but that also <laughs> includes some parenthetical uh, script direction, and I counted uh, six or seven of those parentheticals just in my quick run-through. But yeah, around 70 times was the word exocomp said in this episode. Oof. It might I, be the worst part of this episode, is the expository dialogue that they are constantly using about these things. There's a thing that Farallon does, though. Like, she's got a real 50s movie affect to her. Like, <laughs> well, we might as well send the exocomps in. Like, like there's a very lilty... yeah manner of speaking with her that is very that that feels very unscientific she also has kind of 50s movie hair yeah she's got that uh that career gal hair from uh hudsucker proxy well the deal is these exocomps are so that it's it's kind of like a cordless hand drill where you can put different bits in the front and the deal is she's programmed them up to kind of figure out what bit they need, and then they replicate it onto their nose, depending on the scenario. So she doesn't say, like, put in a hex wrench and uh, and go down that tunnel. She says, go down that tunnel, there's some Ikea furniture that needs to be put together, and an Allen wrench magically appears on the nose of this thing. It knows what you need to get the job done, which... To me, it means it would make for a great nightstand. Say, we got that model D83 Swedish Sure Grip suck machine in that you ordered. <laughs> yeah, it's a gift. The description here is important because they need to float. And this presents a huge problem effects-wise because yeah. in order to float them, you basically need a guy and a stick. And unfortunately, that's what it looks like. Yeah, the other way to do this would be to shoot it the way they shoot the ships and yeah. comp it into the scenes. But getting the lighting right on that is really hard, and I think that's a more expensive proposition because you're renting time with a motion control camera system. And yeah, so yeah, I think they only have one shot maybe that they shot like that, and everything else is definitely like guy wire or gay in green suit. It really makes it tough to stay emotionally invested in the story at least i found it to be that way because like a lot of people feel like this episode is sort of a cousin to the episode where data's life goes on trial with maddox like the whole yeah. question of life thing makes this episode significant and both the exocomp word and the exocomp on stick thing was <laughs> was pretty distracting to me it's interesting. Like I look at these shots and I think as a person who knows how to edit 
and do some light compositing. I can think of some ways to fix this, but I think that you need pretty sophisticated digital editing software to do it. Like if you can kind of rock the reels on those shots so that the bumpiness smooths out and and you can add a little digitalness to the way they move around would actually kind of help these effects. Maybe you shoot everything really fast and then and then slow it down in post so that so that the, yeah. the shakiness smooths out or something like that. Um, but I don't think that that was technically really a possibility at the time that this show was made. So, Do you think the choice in doing the effect this way was specific enough to say that, you know, if their movements were perfect, they would seem more robotic? And so the idea that their movements are not, like, does that make them look like more living things? I can't think that this was done for any reason other than it was the only practical way they could. Yeah. Maybe that adds a little bit to the kind of charisma of the, of the exocomps, but I think if they could have done it a a different and better way, I I imagine they would have jumped at that. I'm sure the airsats Jim Henson (laughs) on, on the ground would agree with you. Yeah. The, uh, the counterfeit Frank Oz. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, so they so the exocomps are doing some like light repair work around the station. They impress everybody pretty early on, but when one of them decides not to do a repair, what's the matter with this thing? And that winds up, you know, immediately preceding the tunnel it was supposed to go down, exploding and a bunch of gravel flying out of it. Data starts to advance this theory to anybody who will listen that uh, the exocomps are not merely robots, but they are an early version of something that is alive in the way he is. It is a guiding principle of a dark reading base. Have you can't find it within yourself to stand up and tell the truth, you don't deserve to wear that uniform. The way the data works in the aftermath of this is he sort of focus groups this around. He talks to Beverly first and foremost because yeah. for some reason uh, data is unclear about what the definition of life is. That is a big question. <laughs> right. Why do you ask? Yeah, data who you can ask for a definition on almost anything. <laughs> um, I kind of thought he, this was a sort of sophisticated bit of emotional uh, manipulation, though, for data. Um, yeah. Because I think what he goes to her for is a definition that is sufficiently squishy that he can kind of fit the exocomps into it. And she totally right. delivers. She's like, yeah, Data, I'm just here in my new wig that's way better than any wig I've ever had so far. And here's uh, here's exactly what you came looking for. It's like Data's playing the long game, right? I th- I feel like he knows eight steps from now what he's going to end up doing if it comes down to it. Mm. And he's looking for reasons that fit into that series of choices. It's not that Beverly's wrong in her definitions at all. It's it's how her definition can be manipulated to justify some actions that come later. Yeah. I mean, and, and to his credit, he's willing to shut it up when the evidence starts to look like he was wrong. You know, he's not he's not married to this, but he is going to like pursue it more seriously than anybody else would. This scene starts with Beverly in Six Bay with Worf 
sort of running a ray gun over her forearm. Yeah, Worf totally sorted Beverly. <laughs> yeah, it's disclosed that they were practicing batleth, and <laughs> and she caught one to the forearm. That's amazing. Yeah. How many classes does Worf what? teach? <laughs> Worf's the overly excited community college student. Yeah. It's like taking all the classes, just trying to figure himself out, man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm hoping to transfer to the, to state next year. <laughs> <laughs> so Worf teaches a yoga class and a sword class. Beverly teaches a tap class and the drama club. Yeah. They they are uh they're real joiners, Worf and Beverly. They're more alike than different. Yeah. How close do you think Beverly came to having her arm taken off, Riker style. I wondered, because, I mean, it's closed, the wound is closed up when we first get a look at it, but uh, you got to imagine Worf swinging a batleth. <laughs> it's got to have some, some English on it. <laughs> is the hallway between Six Bay and the holodeck just fucking washed in blood? <laughs> the muscle memory that Worf has to have, too, from, from his training dojo. Like, he's... <laughs> He's got to whack 10 forearms off of skull-faced aliens before work every day. Like, that's got to be muscle memory for him. Yeah, if, he's, if that's on, like, level 7 and then he's and then he's sparring with the doctor. Do you think yeah. that they picked her arm up off the floor and walked it over to Six Bay? That's what I was going to say. Like, we can't be sure that her arm wasn't severed and that's just <laughs> her putting it back together. <laughs> I love that she, uh, doctor, heal thyself. You know, it it sort of shows the level of trust she has in Okawa if, <laughs> if she's not even having her help with the arm reattachment. Yeah, Worf's like, should I, should I get the nurse? No, no, no. She's barely a back zip at this point. <laughs> Beverly, like, puts a stick in her mouth and bites down on it. <laughs> Zaps the thing back together. When Data gets his uh, squishy definition of life from the doctor... The next big plot beat is a McLaughlin group. Issue one. Which I love. <laughs> Dr. Farallon, the, um, the lady that runs the mining station, is like, a, like every good freelancer. Just, she's just understanding this as, as mission creep. I'm wasting time that could be better spent elsewhere. And another way the Federation is trying to push this project past the contracted scope. She plays this really interestingly because she could play the victim here on the mission creep and play the frustration card but she is angry about this yeah she doesn't understand it it's a goddamn waste of time like i don't understand why i'm in the meeting right now right like we got to get to work here yeah she's trying to finish her her mining platform so that the federation can get excited about it and recommend making more of them and this does not engender any sympathy with me for her though as a character did it work for you? I mean, I don't know if she's supposed to be sympathetic right then. I think that she is a bit... I don't think she's sympathetic at all in the episode. I found her very unlikable. <laughs> well, I liked her. I mean, I, I, she she just... Uh, I think that it takes Data kind of pushing really hard on the idea that she may have accidentally made life before she comes around to that. But I think she eventually does, which is redeeming in, in some way. Yeah. I mean, it does turn into 
Data is Captain Picard. The exocomps are Data, and she is Commander Maddox. She is mm-hmm. she is very much arguing for the exocomps are things. One time, I saw an exocomp enter a reaction chamber for no apparent reason and vaporize itself. I wish you would step back from that ledge, my friend. Her argument essentially is there was no intention of creating something that can be rounded up to alive when I made them. I made them as tools. They're not as sophisticated as data in my expert understanding. Therefore, we should be able to let them be destroyed in the workplace context that they were designed for. Right. Every time every time one of these things is is at risk, it shuts itself off. It like fuses the connection it has to the to the uh controller and um and basically uh you know, sticks up a little protest sign that says hell no, we won't go. This is a behavior that Data does not understand at all. Yeah. It is like you can avoid dangerous situations. <laughs> yeah, but the uh, but the glass tables on the ship are like, I see you, baby. <laughs> Get over here. <laughs> They're like, uh, if if you want us to walk out in solidarity, we got you. Um, so so in, in this McLaughlin group, they're like, okay, well, if these things are alive, uh, we can determine that very easily by threatening them. Yeah, so they set up this little test. They're like, look, this exocomp determined that its life was in danger before. Let's set up a simulation that's that's kind of sim- similar, right? We'll send it down a tunnel with a microscopic crack in it that's about to explode. And if it does possess a survival instinct, as Mr. Data claims, it will exit the tube before the minute is up in order to save itself. And so they turn it on, they send it down the tunnel, it fixes its initial mission, and then does like sort of a look over its shoulder before completing the mission. <laughs> yeah. Like there's a weird pause in the middle of it where he's like, huh, well, that's weird. This smells funny. Meanwhile, at the other end of the pipe, Data, Dr. Farallon, and Picard are like counting down the seconds of when this fake explosion is going to happen. Yeah. And uh, when the exocomp doesn't return... They they deem it as the tool that Farallon believes it to be instead of the self-aware, self-preserving life that that they thought it might have been. Farallon turns to Data and goes, You just got schismed. So Data does not let well enough alone. He decides to run this test another 30-ish more times, <laughs> which is great. Like, like the entire engineering deck is deserted. You can tell it's like four in the morning. Yeah. He's by himself running this this test. And, uh, and Beverly walks in. Beverly's keeping doctor's hours. Mm. She's like, what's up, dude? She doesn't want to take that great new wig off. No. She wants everybody to see that shit. Yeah. This is like mid-test for the exocomp, and uh, he's been calling them back at the end of their little repair mission, and he does not, but uh, because he's talking to Beverly, but back the exocomp comes, and from this, I guess they're able to determine that... The exocomp didn't fail the test. It saw right through it. And that, uh, I guess, they can further conclude means that it has some uh, some uh, reasonable claim uh, toward having a self-preservation instinct and is therefore alive. 
Right. The ability to detect a lie as proof of life. It knows it's been lied to. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to put up with your shit anymore. Yeah. These exocomps would be good at, uh, at poker. Yeah. What do you think the exocomps should have to play for? They have to replicate a dildo on the front if, uh, if they lose? Yeah, you got to wear that around for a week, exocomp. <laughs> if exocomps feel a sense of self-preservation, you can be sure that they also feel shame. <laughs> it's a, it's a, shame is a very human emotion. It as, is. Uh, as Charles Darwin famously wrote. So the station predictably goes into, like, nuclear meltdown mode. Moscow in flames, missiles headed toward New York, film at 11. The station's kind of a pile of shit. Like, it's constantly breaking down in a very dangerous manner. Yeah, and uh, because we need a situation that is either going to threaten human life or exocomp life uh, now, uh, we, we magically have one. And they're trying to, like, evacuate the station, but Picard and Geordi get stranded, and there's too much radiation to beam them out, and the ship is too far away to send a shuttle in time, because the, they've got, like, 20 minutes before the reactor goes critical. And um, I guess Data locks out the transporter when they try to beam the three exocomps back to the station. The transporter is not malfunctioning. I have locked out the controls. He sort of unilaterally determines that the exocomps should not be used for this because they could potentially be destroyed. And I mean, like, you know, if uh, if you're talking about mission of the ship, like they've used this argument before, right? Like they totally used the same argument with the nanites that were eating the computer core. Like they are the only example we know of of intelligent life of this kind. And therefore, like we can't, we can't destroy the thing that they're eating, even though that's an existential threat to the ship. This is so fucked up, though. I was so angry at Data for this, because this is another instance of Data not talking to anyone before making a decision, unilaterally. Like Right, and he and Riker have like a big confrontation about it, and Riker's argument to Data is so much more reasonable than what Data did, which yeah. is, Riker's like, Hey, listen, like, if you think they're alive, why, like, why are you deciding their fate for them? Maybe they want to go rescue Picard yeah. and Geordi. Maybe they yeah. want to stop the station from blowing up. And yeah, Data's doesn't like, it feel good to be a hero, Data? Why don't you give them that opportunity? Yeah, and, and you would think, you know, from everything we know about Data, that he would have uh, acknowledged the possibility that the exocomps might be suicidal. Right. <laughs> Data needs to acknowledge that or at least give him the chance. Frakes does great here. Yeah. Like, it's challenging to direct yourself, but he was awesome in this scene. Like, just the right amount of unhinged, really angry, like flashy angry at Brent Spiner in this scene. And the contrast between them makes him seem even more so. Like, the cool, calculated, unemotional data and the flying off the handle Riker in command of a ship with his captain in a life threatening situation. Like, Fuck, does it get any more frustrating than that? To, like, have a guy who's supposed to be on your side totally stonewall you. Yeah, it's a great scene. And I think uh, maybe the way we get there isn't so great Yeah, from a script standpoint. But I think both Frakes and Spiner treat this scene with the respect it deserves and, and really have a lot of fun with the way their, their characters handle the situation. How many more chances are they going to give Data to do this, though? <laughs> over and over. 
His performance review is constantly like fastest typing, uh, <laughs> always punctual, stays knows, late frequently. Knows how many days, hours, and seconds he's been on board the ship. Yeah, but uh, needs improvement. Uh, the category is taking over the ship <laughs> for for reasons that you don't share with others. Yeah. It's something that any you go through in any relationship is like how you resolve conflict and and the the way that data does it, which is the uh you know the equivalent of storming out without having the argument doesn't uh doesn't work for the other members of the crew. I think it's clear they need to put data on a performance improvement plan and yeah. then uh, do regular check ins with him mm-hmm. Yeah, the HR department should be a lot more hands-on with this situation than they are. I am the cutest of all. There are four lights. Well, the uh, exocomps are given their chance. They, uh, they, uh, you know, heroically go into the station and chill the reactor down enough that uh, Picard, Geordi, and two of the exocomps can be saved via transport, and one of them sticks around heroically, sacrificing itself to save the others. And then we get this final scene between Data and Picard where Data is justifying what what happened to Picard. And this ends on uh, on Picard assessing Data's behavior as one of the most human decisions he's ever made. Which I was like, what about the time he fucked Yar, dude? Yeah, that was pretty human. <laughs> that was human a couple of times. <laughs> And in a, in a couple of different positions. You know, this episode asks you to take a couple of leaps. The leap that might be the furthest is for Picard himself to go like, yeah, and it would have been worth it, too. Like, you would, have proven your, you would have proven your point if I died over there for these fucking tools. <laughs> for these fucking Makitas. Like, look... We occasionally rewrite these episodes the way that we would prefer them. And I think I always want to ride for a little more conflict, especially in terms of like a character's inner conflicts. And I think it's okay for Picard in this scene to show a little bit of ambivalence here about that because it affected him more than anyone. Like, <laughs> like, why not give him a, a line or two of dialogue where he's like, God, you know, it's one thing to, to have had this argument in a courtroom with you and Maddox all those years ago. But man, when it's your own skin on the line, that's where you really got to believe it. And I believed it back then in the courtroom with Maddox. I believe it now. But you really made me think about it when I was over there, and it was my life on the line. But for him to so easily ride for the exocomp when it was his life that was bet on them. I mean, we know it's genuine because it's Picard, and we know everything he says to be genuine, but it it does not seem credible to me. What you're asking for is sort of the monologue he has at the end of the Darmok episode, which is like his admiration for the risk that that captain took to establish communications. Like, what you want here is for Picard to acknowledge how hard a decision it was and I hope that I believe everything we're out here doing as much as you appear to, but this definitely got as close as we can to testing that practically and 
yeah. not sure I would have been in the same on the same boat in the same boat as you if if I'd been here on the ship. Yeah, like moral ambiguity is so much more interesting here, especially from Picard. Mm-hmm. Did you like the episode, Adam? I didn't for that reason and a few others. The repetition of exocomp, the way the exocomps looked and their effects, the tidy and maybe too tidy conclusion to it, the unlikable antagonist. Dr. Farallon could be an ally here in a weird way, Mm -hmm. like, but she's not. And this didn't feel like an episode that fit together. It felt like a, a, a few parts and a few scenes that didn't really hang. People compare this to Measure of a Man, but I think Measure of a Man is is way better of an episode, and it articulates the conflict better than this episode does. Hmm. Did you? I, I think that it's right on the knife edge for me. I think you could have easily tipped it one way or the other. Like one thing that they could have done to make me think this was a great episode was have Frakes and Worf show up to work the next day clean shaven. <laughs> yeah, um, that's a fun button. There's no way that's not going to make me love an episode, you know, <laughs> no matter what else happens in it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I understand the, the practical constraints they have in doing something like that, but, uh, but yeah, like, uh, and, you know, I think that it could have, there could have been things that made it worse but um this may may be the most equivocal i feel about an episode yeah hmm i guess we do p1s now yeah yeah priority one message from starfleet coming in on secured channel need a supplemental income supplemental income supplemental supplemental yeah it's extra but the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship that's the best transition. Let's just go into it from there. <laughs> I'm going to use that. Adam, we've got a couple of priority ones here. And uh, from the sound of it, you have a lot of enthusiasm for this portion of the show. <laughs> I love this part of the show. The uh, the first one here is from Ira. Takes full advantage of no character limits in the personal info bar, Gooch and Anais. Well done. <laughs> Somebody had to hack that. Yeah. Uh, and it's for Leaf Devine. Devine? Uh, happy birthday, Leaf. Thank you for introducing me to this pod. It reminds me of when I recounted from memory the entire two-part episode when Data and Lore become kings of the rogue Borgs for you. <laughs> Good times. There may have been podcast fluid involved. Adam and Ben, please wish Leaf a happy birthday in impression of your choice. Ooh. Um, well, I'm going to have to go with uh, Arnold at the craft services table <laughs> on the set of Predator. Happy birthday, Leaf. Yeah, happy birthday from your two favorite muscle-bound governors. Leaf, I've traveled a long way <laughs> to wish you happy birthday oh. from my ass. Uh, fun times. <laughs> I got their bunnies worth for that one. Two 
three very terrible impressions. Ugh. There's a reason that I don't trot out walking very often. <laughs> uh, our second priority one message is also of a personal nature, Ben. It is from Tootsie Roll and or Captain Josh. It is for <laughs> Clint Jean Benet Ramsey Wiseman. Message goes like this. First, happy late birthday, early first wedding anniversary. Secondly, what the shit, man? I bought two of these damn P1s and you haven't bought me shit. I know you're busy doing science at Los Alamos National Lab, but this shit is getting ridiculous. Buy my ticket to Greatest Gen Con 2017 and we'll call it even. Love your BFF, wedding officiant, and forever your number one. <laughs> A lot of demands being made here, Ben, from Tootsie Roll. Yeah, Captain <laughs> Captain Josh is uh, Captain Josh is both a number one and a wedding officiant. That's a that's a surprise. Some friendships require a lot of maintenance, and it appears as though the Jean Benet Tootsie Roll friendship is one of those. Yeah, I mean, it seems like um, they're not quite at Raz and Plavim level, but they're yeah. aspiring to it. <laughs> well. When your tree of friendship uh, requires the watering from the blood of your wallet from time <laughs> to time, <laughs> priority ones are the way to do that by going to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, where your personal message will cost $100. The very rare commercial message costs $200, and they are one of the greatest ways to keep our program in production. Thanks, guys. Ben? What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! I did, Adam. Um, when the... I think this is the first time we get a, a hint that the exocomps are doing some thinking for themselves. Um, there's like an explosion where a bunch of uh, like playground gravel is tossed out of one of those... <laughs> One of those holes, um, <laughs> you know, it's like it's a it's a it's a, a situation where they're not sure how big of trouble they are in, and uh, Doctor Farallon and Data run away from the hole that has just exploded, <laughs> and uh, and then just out of nowhere, some other guy <laughs> who works on the station runs up and picks up the exocomp and just takes it away. <laughs> And it's like a wordless, just like, why is, why is, why did they get coverage of this even? <laughs> like, who cares at all? But, uh, I thought it was very funny. I, I have so many questions about this scene. First of all, why are there rocks shooting out of the pipe? Yeah, what's in there? Where did the rocks come from? Is that what they're mining? I don't know. Ben, this is one of the episodes where we have the same Shimoda. Because... <laughs> This so th this moment was so incongruous with everything else. You know what it reminded me of is like the kickoff to a football game where like they put the football on the tee. Yeah. It seems like the most dangerous moment in any football game. Like a kid runs out, grabs the tee and brings it back. This crew person is the same person. He's he's picking up the tee on the field after this explosion happens. It's a bit like the episode where Kramer is a ball boy at the U.S. Open. Like, it's that level of, like, 
physical comedy of just having to do something really quickly. Yeah. He's so self-aware about it, too. (laughs) That's what makes it hard. Like, there's nothing else to look at except for him. You know, sometimes you'll see someone on screen and and they almost don't know how to walk. Like, they're so self-aware about their walk. I have appeared in the background of several student films uh, in my day. And... uh, and that is what I look like when I am on screen. <laughs> I say that as someone who who does the same thing. Like like some sometimes you just can't turn it off. You can't turn off that self awareness. And this person is is doing that in a really fun way. Yeah, double Shimoda Ben. That's great. It's going to be on the uh, the Dinsmore, the Colin Dinsmore uh, Shimoda roundup that we get at the end of every season. Yeah. If you're not yeah. if you're not up on that, by the way. Listener, uh, listener, Colin goes goes through at the end of every season and post to post to Twitter a series of charts that that like show you know who's the leader in the clubhouse for Shimoda's who who's uh, who's in the running for second place. It's great. It really what belongs I- on r slash data is beautiful. Yeah. Damok, Angelad, and Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books. They send in paintings they send in uh, crochet work it's so cool and uh i want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters i want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves and you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use squarespace it'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. 
The episodes will be amazing and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. What do we have coming up on the next episode, Ben? The next episode is Season 6, Episode 10, Chain of Command, Part 1. After resigning his command to participate in a dangerous secret mission, Captain Picard is taken hostage by the Cardassians. Do you remember this episode, Adam? Love this episode, Ben. Yeah, this Love is it. a big one. I feel like this is this is what you remember from season six. Yeah. This two-parter. This is what the cliffhanger should have been between season five and season six. Right. I thought. Maybe maybe it has too many echoes of Picard as a Borg, but Yeah. It yeah. uh Picard always being captured. It is definitely not like a Hey, if you like this show and want to come back and watch the season next year, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the opposite of that. This is Starfleet as military in a way that we get pretty rarely on this yeah. show. Yeah, and I mean, Starfleet is not primarily a military force, but they do serve that function, and they have to be, they have to be ready for it when, when the time demands it, so... It's, it's always interesting to see them flip that bit in their brains. I like seeing the show put on the military hat. Well, uh, it sounds like you wouldn't have vetoed it, even if you hadn't stupidly used your veto for uh, rascals, Adam. Hey, man, I never call your veto stupid. <laughs> That's because my vetoes are all well-reasoned, Adam. All of my vetoes are special, every one of them. <laughs> you love all your children equally? I do, really um, do. Yeah, I, I wouldn't veto this either. So uh, that being an irrelevant conversation, it's what we're going to watch next. One thing that is uh, increasing in relevance by the week, Ben, are our legion of viewers. Yeah. Growing in number, growing in chattiness. They reach out to us on Twitter using the hashtag GreatestGen. I'm on there as at Cup for Time. Ben is there as at Benjamin R. A-H-R. We're also on Facebook and Reddit. All over the place, Ben. Yeah, we should talk about we never we never bring this up, but there's a great viewer created greatest gen podcast wiki. You yeah. go to greatestgen.wikia.com. Uh a bunch of people have uh collaborated to uh you know, do what we do and explain all the jokes. <laughs> uh but it's great. Like they have they have like a list of running jokes that is like it's so long it's almost unbelievable to me (laughs) 
but like if you're ever confused about what loaf is or something, you know, there's there's a there's now a resource that you can consult. <laughs> what our show needs are resources. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly. It's and this a, is a big one. It's great. It 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 makes me laugh. Uh, like every page of it makes me laugh. Like there's little biographies of us that are very funny. There's like every every joke is added to by this this wiki page. I don't know if you feel the same way, but like there's a great feeling in knowing that the program will like live on the internet and maybe even forever. Yeah. But there's a different and I don't want to say better, but just there's something about reading something about our show that feels more tangible in a way and makes it feel more real to me. And this wiki is an example of that feeling. It's, it's like, wow, this is an actual record of what we're doing in a way that feels different from the program itself. Different and great. It's amazing. Yeah, I love it. So if you're confused, if you've jumped into our show midstream and you don't get some of the references, uh, maybe you don't want to go back to the beginning, which you should. You really should. But if you don't have time for that, the wiki's a great way to study up. Cliff's Note style. Yeah. Well, uh, we should thank Dark Materia for our theme music and Adam Ragusia for uh, a lot of the other music you hear on the program. We should thank the great folks at MaximumFun.org for all their support. With that, we'll be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek The Next Generation and an episode of The Greatest Generation that's sneaking around in some styrofoam tunnels in a in a set of black leotards. So, so skin tight. So sexy. You know, uh, you don't see much bulge. Like, if you're wearing a black leotard, you'd expect to see some bulge. Yeah, they got it lighting, the lighting set, so it's very chaste. Yeah. Yeah, you don't want that rim light on the bulge. <laughs> you don't. Ah, <laughs> oh, that, that's too bad. That could have been uh, the title of next week's episode. <laughs> I just, uh, I should have chambered that one. Yeah, you stepped on it. <laughs> next, next week's episode is ruined, Adam. <laughs> MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported. Exocomp. Exocomps. An exocomp. 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 The exocomp. Exocomp. These exocomps. Exocomp. The exocomps. Exocomp. The exocomps. Exocomp. The exocomps are the exocomps. The exocomp. 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 <laughs>